Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of life, physical, professional and personal. We seek to do this through The Genius Podcast, our Catholic Women's Masterclass, our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women and The Genius Academy. If you're interested in finding out more about any of these initiatives, please visit our website, www.geniusproject.co. You can find us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily on Facebook and the YouTube channel. The other thing that I'm really excited about that has landed on Australian soil is the Metanoia Catholic Journals. If you would like to get your copy, please visit our website, www.geniusproject.co. This journal is an incredible tool in your hands that can really help you in the spiritual life in terms of being renewed by the transformation of your mind. This journal has had a profound impact in my own spiritual life and transformation. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So if you'd like to get yourself a copy before they're sold out, please visit the website www.geniusproject.co and check out the journal page. Well, ladies, we are coming to the end of our Lenten podcast retreat series. I really hope and pray that these interviews have been a real blessing and given you something to think about, perhaps an invitation for where the Lord is wanting to bring about restoration in your life this Lent. So this week marks the beginning of Holy Week, this week in which we journey with our Lord towards his death and then resurrection. To help me unpack this week of Holy Week and to put a bow around all that we have discussed over the past six weeks, I have invited Jennifer Gentili to join me. Jennifer is a wife and lay Carmelite, mother to two boys and Catholic theology teacher in an all boys high school. She has a beautiful spirituality and brings so much to the table in this discussion on Holy Week. I really hope and pray that you'll get some time and space to listen to her. You are not going to want to miss a moment of what she shares. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode with Jennifer Gentili. Well, Jennifer, welcome to the Genius Podcast. It's such a blessing to have you as a guest. I know we've been trying to arrange this for a few weeks, but I was sick last week. My voice is still not quite back to normal, but I wanted to say a huge welcome and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. And as a New Yorker, your voice sounds fabulous. (laughs) I love your accent. (laughs) So it's so nice. I actually, in Australia, we don't think we have an accent, but uh, I was talking to a friend, Laura Rowland. She's in the DC area yesterday and she's like, I love your accent. I was like, oh goodness. (laughs) But I can't laugh too much because I'll start coughing. I've just had a week of being really sick, not COVID, but a really nasty cold just went through the house and took out our voices. So um, I only had this, would you believe, a month ago. That's why I was late kicking off the podcast. But anyway, we're good. So we're going to um, walk into Holy Week this week with this podcast episode. And you're going to help us, I guess, give us some thoughts and unpack, I guess, how we can make a good final week of Lent. But before we jump into that, I'm wondering if you'd share with our listeners 
a little bit about yourself because we connected on Instagram recently, but I really was drawn to your spirituality. And so I'm wondering if you give us a little bit of background, more just who you are, where you live, your family vocation, and then I guess your journey with spirituality. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So I, um, I'm born and raised in New York. I grew up uh, Catholic. I grew up um, in a home of very devoted Catholic mom, a father who was still unfortunately is a bit separated from the faith. So it was very much kind of this tension between two very different lifestyles within the home. Um, uh, it was one of these things where I was always taught the truth but it, I just never took to it. I never took to it. And when I was a teenager, I really started to pull away uh, on a couple of levels. Number one, because I was falling into sin. It is, I teach Catholic high school presently. And I say, I share this, I teach in an all boys Catholic high school. And I say to them, I say, it's extremely hard to be Catholic and a teenager because it, it calls you to a higher, completely different radical way of, of living. And I just kind of couldn't keep up with the morality side and I was falling into sin. So it was easier for to fall away from the church and fall into sin than, than, than stay obedient. So, so that was one thing that I encountered. Also growing up, some of the people that were the closest to God or that the, the role models I had in my immediate life that were Catholic, many of them didn't look very joyful. Many of them had very heavy crosses. Um, it, I, it was almost as if I interpreted as the church was broken. The religion was broken. If it was working, it shouldn't look this way. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? So um, meanwhile, I mean, now being older and knowing more about the cross and knowing what they were you know, coping with, but I didn't, I understand more fully, but back then only I, I felt like, and it's funny that we're going into Holy week. I, I felt like my life in my home uh, and in my early childhood experiences with the faith, we were always stuck on good in good Friday mode. We never made it to Easter Sunday in the home. And I just kind of never saw that joy. So throughout high school um, and college, I fell away. Um, I, I don't know. I never became an atheist. I just really, God wasn't a priority. It, he was He was put on the shelf and I really, you know, drank from the cup of the culture. And I would say when college was over and I was in the workforce, uh, I had kind of staked my claim and I'm going to have happiness and success when I have financial success. And then I achieved it. Like I, I achieved all that I wanted to do. I came out, I was a management consultant and I was doing very well financially. And I was, I was doing all the things that the world tells you makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And yet I wasn't happy. So I was very much the female version of an Augustine, like a fallen away, young, living in the culture, like the spirit of, of the secular culture and just not happy. So I, I start to realize, so this is wrong. Like I've been chasing the wrong dream. And I want to say that's probably about my late twenties. So I start to search a search for a bit more meaning. Um, I'm completely self-centered at this point, although I don't know it, <laughs> um, which you never do when you're self-centered. Um, and, um, so, but I become, I decide to switch careers. I leave consulting and I become a school teacher. Definitely God's providence. I started in special ed, which was, again, was the hand of God because later on I had uh, my two boys cope with some unique need, learning needs and, and that helped with that. And 
so I, I start to get a little bit more satisfaction and realize there's more, but initially I, I, I really started to dabble in, in other religions. So, so I, and I, I didn't think of it as dabbling in other religions. I became a big yogi. So, um, and so that was like, and I actually went through yoga training. So I actually really fell into a lot of Hinduism without knowing it. Okay. Um, also, I also started to sit and um, meditate uh, in a Zen Buddhist Sangha. Um, and I was drawn, it's funny because I was drawn to these things because of the silence of it, which I had spent most of my life running from. And I didn't even know of that spirituality of the entering the quiet that I didn't even know it existed in Catholicism. You know, um, so I was attracted to that. And I also think those forms of spirituality were less demanding, right? You know, like they, they so I was attracted, it seemed like, look, all the benefits with none of the responsibilities. <laughs> but um, long story short, I wound up having a very profound encounter with Christ in the middle of uh, a meditation. And um, I, won't, I won't get too far into it, but I basically knew that Christ is real and that, and, and it was just like, a, it was a profound moment wow. where I, um, I was just doing quiet meditation, cry, trying to quiet my mind. I was at the point I had two boys. My I had both boys baptized, but just to please the family members, I really wasn't practicing. We were having trouble with my younger son. Um, he was noticing some things that some warning signs. And in the middle of this meditation, I was thinking of nothing, just trying to clear my mind. And it's like I heard the voice of Christ say, "You need to go home and take care of Joseph." And like immediately, I knew, like I don't know how to describe it. I, I just knew it was Christ. And, yeah, I knew. And, um, and I was, and I, and I had been repressing the facts because I was a special ed educator and I was seeing the warning signs with, in my own home with my one son. And that was like the faucet was open and I couldn't, basically Christ wouldn't let me lie to myself anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was my long, I mean, there's a, I have a slew of so many other stories of like, got down on my hands and knees. It's like, okay, if you're really real, you have to help me with this. The next day I get invited to a woman's cornerstone retreat, but all these amazing, amazing stories that slowly brought me back into the Catholic church. In many ways, it's a story of reversion, but really it almost feels like conversion because I never had that personal relationship. Yeah. And, and it just, that was, you know, I then say that I went from a St. Augustine to a St. Paul because I just went full on, you know, or uh, just completely embracing the faith. But I realized that I only had an eighth grade level of catechesis. Mm. Um, so I decided to start taking a class here and there, which wound up turning into a master's, a second master's. Oh, did theology. it? Oh, fantastic. Wow. <laughs> what so now, I <laughs> now I teach theology. So I kind of, I, 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 I've um, married my two loves, my love of teaching yes. and my love of God. Yes. And that's what I do now. And I, and I live a, um, I'm also a lay Carmelite. I'm at the very beginning stages of becoming a lay Carmelite. So, yeah. which, so in the end, I ultimately got to my silence and my contemplative prayer, but very much. Yes, you did. It was quite a roundabout journey, wasn't it? But it's amazing how when Jesus knows that moment, when we're open and he just comes in to speak truth, to 
speak beauty, to speak goodness. And that resonates deep within us. Like you were saying, you had this journey of searching for that stillness, that contemplation, and that the Lord at the right moment brought you to that place, which was your greatest heart's desire. So it's an amazing story, very beautiful. And I think that's a really important thing to remember that no matter what we're going through, whether it's searching for that or whether we're struggling with crosses in our life, that the Lord sees us and that he does come. He does come to rescue us. And that's exactly what's happening this week as we're walking into Holy Week and sort of concluding our journey through Lent and making this journey through to walk the Passion on Good Friday and into Resurrection Sunday, which is something I thought was interesting that you picked up on that in your family, you felt that you were stuck in Good Friday. So let's have a little chat around, I guess, this last week of Lent, walking into Holy Week, because for many of us, we we start Holy, we start Lent, sorry, with great intentions. We start our devotionals, we start fasting, we almsgiving. But then, I don't know, I find that these couple of weeks just before Holy Week seem to get busy and the pressures of life here in Australia, we get back into the school year at the beginning of February. So um, Lent always begins sort of smack bang on the start of school year. And then by this stage, we're coming into our first lot of holidays. But there's all these demands that start flying and spinning in these last couple of weeks. And I'm wondering how we can continue to make a good Lent as we approach Holy Week because no matter if we've fallen off the wagon or we've started eating chocolate or we haven't kept up our devotionals it's not too late to make a good Lent and this week is such a gift this this Holy Week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday such a gift for us and I really want to invite women to be drawn into I guess this deeper place of contemplation with the Lord because we begin Lent, looking at going into the desert with Jesus. And for those who have made a good Lent and have kept their resolutions, then you will have experienced some of the graces and the Lord speaking to you. For those that haven't, I just want to say it's not too late. Don't think it's all over. You can still make that that final week really precious with the Lord. So Jennifer, I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about, I guess, your insights on Holy Week and how as women, we can, I guess, make this journey in a really significant way so that Jesus comes to us in a special way at Easter. Absolutely. If you don't mind, I'm going to back up just a little, just Please. to talk, talk about Lent just a little, because as you were talking, I just, I felt all this stuff bubbling up, but you're just hitting on so much, so much truth. So um, I can't help but think of St. Therese Lisser, who basically says it's all grace. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you are, how you proceeded through Lent, um, maybe you imitated Christ in the 40 days and, and you were just this really devoted person, um, or maybe you imitated more of Israel in the 40 years of the desert. Like what we do during Lent is we're brought into this place so that Christ can help us radically de- turn towards him, to detach from the world and to turn to him with this new radical love and trust. I mean, that's why just to like switch gears for a second, if we think about, you know, why is it that it took the Israelites 40 years to make a two and a half week journey? It's because that's how long it took for them to let go of Egypt, to let go of all the worldly priorities and to want nothing but God and his promised land. And that's like what our little mini versions of Lent are us kind of grappling with 
the pull that exists on this side of the veil between having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and, and trying to, you know, be in the world, but not of it and focus on Christ and the reality of how hard that is. So really like wherever we are, there's, it's, there's no better or worse. It's all grace. Like it, it's, it's part of the process of shedding our detachment from this from this world and fully totally radically turning and converting to the love of christ and his kingdom mm, and, and yeah so it, it's there's no like it, it's it's all grace so as we so whether we're whether we were the 40 days like jesus or the 40 years like israel we're now moving into holy week we sometimes uh, from a liturgical standpoint call it the triduum or the three days which you know starts on that that evening of of holy thursday um and then we we move into really the literally holiest time of of the year and i think it is an invitation to just radically focus solely on christ and 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 it's a call to really in an very special way, pick up the cross and walk with him. And I think one of, if you're, if you're able to um, engage in as much of the liturgical events during those special days, it really just helps you just get more into the season. So if you can, you know, on Holy Thursday, go to a foot washing and um, mm. if, and, and then when the foot washing is over, uh, they, they repose the blessed sacrament and, and you know, sit in adoration to, you know, to think of the fact of like Jesus in the garden. And then you move into, to Good Friday. Um, there's, you know, you could have to check with your local events, but like, I know historically in Brooklyn, for example, they've done this beautiful way of the cross where on, on Friday, you actually you know, take an extended walk, uh, walking through the stations of the cross, whatever it is that your local parish is offering to just take advantage of as many of those opportunities to truly live and breathe mm -hmm. through the liturgy in these, in these three days, uh, in the triduum. And then, you know, Holy Thursday, you know, we're just like sitting in the silence of the waiting. Um, and then the joy of the night of the Easter vigil. And then of course on Easter Sunday. So I think it's this opportunity to just live several days in prayer, like mm -hmm. that, cause you know, you know, prayer is, 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 is union with God. And in this really real way of kind of reliving some of these experience, liturgical experiences and, and just really clearing your calendar as much as you can, mm -hmm. the more, the more you could clear your calendar and the more you could just surround yourself with these activities in this very intense way is a way to truly live, like live through the season. Mm. I think you make a really good point there, just clearing the calendar, because this podcast drops on Tuesday. So that's at really the beginning of the Holy Week. And so it's really about planning. I think sometimes we can race into it and come to a screaming halt on Holy Thursday, Good Friday. And it's like, oh, I forgot to buy Easter eggs and need to do all the things. But it's much deeper than that. And we really, there is this invitation to live from a place of just this deeper place with the Lord as we're walking this journey. I know for myself in our home, uh, this year particularly, we're very blessed. Um, we're going along to an event called Light to the Nations, which is a camping pilgrimage, usually gathers about 1,000 people that come and camp out. And the beautiful Disciples of Jesus Covenant community here host this event and they put on the most extraordinary feast over 
the Holy Thursday right through to Easter Sunday. It's magnificent because you are actually walking it. It's very beautiful. But on the years when that's not on, in my home, I make a really big point of on the Thursday evening, we have the um, Passover feast and we have a big lamb roast and then we clear the table off and it's all very plain. So sometimes I think as lay women, we are living in our homes in the busyness and the hustle of everyday life. And we can forget that there are some things that we actually can do to bring some of these liturgical practices into our family, into our domestic church. Even if you're not married, even if you don't have children, you can still do this in your home, in your environment, just setting that atmosphere for prayer. And so we do that. We have a lot of decorations and things that we do, but it really has a way of centering our children on what's happening. So we're walking it in our home as well. So there's a couple of different ways to do that. But I'm really interested in this idea that the religious orders have a I mean, they're very blessed, aren't they? Because they have their celebrations, the chapel, their whole life is geared and centered around a life of prayer. But for the everyday lay woman, it's not as easy to do, but it is possible. So I'm I'm interested in your thoughts there on how as lay women, we can integrate these practices of prayer in our life, even past Lent, even past this season. Absolutely. I know as a busy working mom. Um, for me, the bookends of my day are, are, are very important to me. So I, I have a general sense of what my day looks like, but I know that I have little control over it, but my bookends are times that I, I, I can control. So I like to always, I always wake up and allow morning time. That morning prayer for me is, is, a, is an anchor, you know, even when we read the gospels, we hear there's several references to, to Christ waking early in the morning and going off to prayer. So if it's the best model we have right there. So I always anchor my day in prayer and the busier my day is the longer my prayer is, Mm. because I understand that, that time that God gives us our grace, you know, thy daily bread, our grace is given one day at a time. So if I have a very intense day, I need more time for prayer. And historically I work the opposite. I'm like, I have a busy day. I need to like cut my prayer short, but that's, that's living by the word, the world standards and not the way like Christ has modeled for us. So I try my best to have that morning time. Um, then throughout the day, I feel, um, I really like this concept of aspirations. So aspirations is just a fancy term for like a really short prayer, like a one-liner that you could kind of send up uh, either mentally or saying it under your breath or speaking it aloud, depending on where you are and your comfort level. But like, I have like my favorite aspirations will be things like Jesus, I trust in you from the divine mercy or thy will be done, you know, from, from, from that or come Holy spirit come. But like these, these just kind of praying them, like, as I go through the ray of emotions, like throughout the, do- throughout the day, um, so that this way I'm just going about my daily activities, but it's, you know, if there's something joyful, I'll say like, you know, rejoice and be glad. This is the day of the Lord. Like just, just kind of pull these things and I could just be thinking them in my mind or whatnot. Um, and then I just try to build in time. I mean, I'm blessed to work in a Catholic school. So sometimes I'll pop into the chapel, but even when, you know, I, I can't do that. Um, just having these set points to, to have these aspirations. And then at the close of my day, I have to say my nighttime, um, my nighttime prayer is, is not fantastic because I'm usually really tired that by, by that point. <laughs> 
So even if, so it's usually shorter. Um, and, and, but, but I do try to close with, 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 with some of that I'm supposed as a late Carmelite, I'm supposed to be praying the liturgy of the hours in the morning, in the evening, okay. but the, the, the evening's a little sloppy. It's like, <laughs> that's okay. But, but, and, and if it doesn't happen, you know, it's, it's all good. And it's a humbling experience, but I think that, you know, that's that time is looked at as like, that's my time to go back and drink from the well. You know, that's the wellspring of worship so that I could, the more the busy, the more I have to do, the more I have to go back. And, you know, as one other thing that you were saying when you're talking about Holy Week and you had, a you know, those, you know, beautiful ways for us in our home to have these more kind of practical traditions, which are, which are beautiful and great. Um, if you can't get off to a, a, like an actual liturgical event of some sort, but also I try to be more conscious during Holy Week when I'm in my everyday, like mom or, or wife mode of whenever I can con still contemplating the Lord. So I'll, I'll give you a silly example. Um, you know, maybe it's my boys are fighting, you know, I have two teenage boys, 13 months apart, and it just breaks my heart when they argue. It's just one, I know it's natural. I know siblings fight, but it's, it's a, point. <laughs> yeah. it's a point, it's a point that makes me sad. And if I let it, it could almost make me a little fall into a little despair. And yet that could be an opportunity. Let's say it's Holy week. I, I could do this anytime really, but let's say it's Holy week. I could pause in that moment and understand that this experience of this minor little suffering in this really small way is my way of participating in the ongoing suffering of Christ. And in that really small way, I could ask, I could offer up that small suffering to the cross of Christ, which he's literally carrying as my part in helping him carry the cross this week. And, and I could look to the role model of the blessed mother who stood by the foot of the cross on good Friday. And I'm sure it was not the plan she had picked. And, and, and I'm sure she was challenged and, and to not fall into despair, but rather she trusted radically trusted and loved the Lord. And in that small moment of this silly little thing that's really making my heart sad. I could trust in hope on the Lord who, who, who gives us eternal life that he'll work it out between my boys and I could continue on. So in those, that's just a little silly, small example, oh, it's but, beautiful though. but yeah, just really small ways, like during that time, um, during Holy week to just consciously offer up our sufferings to the cross. Um, Absolutely. And Carmelite spirituality is, is big on this. My husband has very Carmelite spirituality. And I know a lot of our discernment happened at the Carmelite monastery as we were discerning marriage. But St. John of the Cross, St. Therese of Leisure, all of their inputs are very beautiful around expanding our understanding of how to suffer, how to carry our crosses and how to do that well. And that uniting those experiences, which you touched on there, which I think is really important as we come into Holy Week and beyond, because it's relevant, like you said, for so many experiences that we have in life, is just how do we unite that suffering to the Lord? And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about Carmelite spirituality and perspective on I guess, forgiveness and carrying the crosses in life, because all of us, I think coming out of these last two years, I don't know anyone that hasn't been knocked around by the last two years. And I guess my question for you is how do we do that with, the, I guess, the Carmelite spin perspective? Because I think there is a real gift in the Carmelite spirituality for us in journeying. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, to start from the perspective of, of forgiveness. 
Mm. When you, I think the ultimate way, at least for me, when I'm struggling to forgive, I contemplate on the Lord and I say to myself, this is God incarnate. He's, he's, he lets himself be spat on and mocked. He lets himself be, be, be whipped. He carries his cross. He's nailed to his cross. He's lifted up. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So it's like when I'm struggling to forgive, I have to turn and look at the Lord and what he does to the pattern, the pattern that he has to overcome evil is to essentially embrace it with love. As you mm. see my husband in the background, speaking of love. Hello. <laughs> so, 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 um, and to connect that to a karma light spirituality, mm. St. John, just a little background of, you know, St. John of the cross, St. John of the cross was arrested by his own monks, the, the, the people in, in his order, because they didn't like the reforms that he was doing. They imprisoned him. They, and, and so you want to talk about like the worst of the worst kind of betrayal. And, and he, he, he could have turned and become bitter, you know, that's like, and, and he could have, you know, cursed God. How could I've dedicated my life? How could you let it? But instead he just surrenders to the cross because he sees it as an opportunity to imitate the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, there's, and, and he sees the example the Lord has set, which is that the only way to truly overcome evil is through love and radical love and radical forgiveness and radical surrender and trust in God's providence. And that's, that's very much this whole concept of the way of the cross. And in this radical surrender and and trust and love, we're given joy in the middle of the suffering. Not that the suffering doesn't hurt, not that it becomes easy, but we're able to transcend it and, and operate above it and be, and, and receive a channel of grace that is redemptive. It's redemptive in this moment. It gives you the grace and the strength to carry on. And it's redemptive in that you're building up blessings for a deeper glory in heaven, because we do, we know very much the Carmelite spirituality is, and we see this in Teresa of Lisseur. We also see this in, in, in St. Ter- uh, uh, Teresa of Avila. There's this concept that what we do on earth is shaping our eternal Mm. profile essentially and that the the more suffering we endure and in because of christ or offer up because of christ while we continue to love and trust in him the greater glory of heaven will be able to 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 enjoy so Mm. so you can it pays off in the moment because it gives you the grace to get through and and to be and to grow as opposed to 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 become bitter so it gives you an immediate payoff but it also eternally um, get you to ability where you could in, enjoy more glory and of the, of heaven. Mm, that's beautiful. So much in that, my goodness, really beautiful. One thing that really stood out for me is this area of forgiveness. And it, I think it's worth having a little bit of a conversation around this because ultimately that is what the cross is all about, is about 
being restored. And, you know, throughout the podcast, we've looked at these three disciplines of Lent. Last week, we explored the discipline of almsgiving and how the Lord wants to restore ourselves and our relationship with him, but particularly others through that gift of almsgiving. But at the heart of almsgiving really is this heart of forgiveness. And I'd love to just hear your thoughts on sometimes in life, you know, there are things that happen to us, um, around us that are accidental. People don't mean to hurt us. Situations in life happen. Then there are those deliberate things where people deliberately wound us. They deliberately cause us pain. And those are the ones that are actually really hard to get past. And there's this notion that you know, we forgive and we are called to a life of forgiveness. We're called to imitate Christ. He, he hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we are called to that exact imitation, to that level of forgiveness. But practically in the everyday outworking of our life, this can be incredibly challenging. I know in my own life, having experienced betrayals from people very close to me, just how difficult that is to forgive. But I also know that that actually causes a block in my own heart, in my own growth, in my own connection with the Lord. I'll just share one experience of that. It was early, my husband and I were almost going to celebrate our 21st wedding anniversary in a few weeks. But early in our marriage, our first year of marriage, I experienced a little bit of block in terms of intimacy and just it was emotional intimacy. And it had to do with a man that I dated years before I met Jonathan. And he wasn't quite a Christian. I sort of thought the whole flirt to convert thing might work and it didn't. And it ended up sort of pulling me a little bit away from my faith. Now, I was always very strong. I was never going to sleep with him before marriage, but he didn't share that view. So there was a lot of pressure. And in the end, it turned out he was a bit of a womanizer and had slept around a lot of the time while we were dating. So that actually, that really wounded my heart. I was always so thankful that I was valued myself not to go into a physical relationship. Um, But the wound there in my heart of abandonment, of betrayal was immense. And so without realizing we take those wounds into marriage or we take them into our other relationships. And Richard Raw says the pain that is not transformed is transmitted. And so in those first couple of months of marriage, I was sort of waiting for Jonathan to let me down or to betray me or some, I don't even know what I was thinking he might do because he's such a godly man or so blessed. But a year after we were married, we were talking about this area of unforgiveness. And I became aware that this real, this anger and this unforgiveness towards this guy who'd been cheating on me during our dating and how that was impacting our marriage. And we lived up in far North Queensland, which was an 18 hour drive from, oh no, it was actually more than that, from my hometown. It was, it was huge. So we were coming home for Christmas and Jonathan said to me, like, you need to forgive him. Now, it's been many years since I I saw him, but as we came through Sydney, we actually found the house of his friend and I left a note in his letterbox. And on Christmas Eve, this ex-boyfriend called me. So his friend had passed on the note and he said to me, I'm so glad that you connected. I just need to ask your forgiveness because long story short, once I found out this had happened, I sort of just, that was it for me. Um, But, and he sort of, tried to pursue and find me. And anyway, so it was, there was never any closure, 
but he asked for my forgiveness and I was able to grant that forgiveness. And in that moment, it was profound. This, it was like this, just my heart, all these chains, all these, this heaviness and this weight just evaporated. And there was a freedom that entered my heart, entered my marriage. Um, it was just profound. So I share that example because it's sometimes nice to hear how other people work this out and how it can be many years later until we deal with things. But I also want to say it's never too late to grant forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness. Um, so I'm interested in your thoughts on this area of forgiveness because it's really hard. Sometimes we think if we forgive, then we're letting that person off the hook. But actually forgiveness is about setting our hearts free so that we can be in union with Christ, so that we can be filled with his grace, so that we can love with his grace. So I'm interested in your thoughts. If you have ever had an experience like that of, I guess, wrestling with forgiveness and I guess a breakthrough that happens when you do grant forgiveness. Wrestle every day. Every day, <laughs> I know. Hence the vocation. <laughs> so, um, so you said so many um, profound so many profound things. Um, before I give a specific example, and I actually want to say a couple of things about your example, because I think it, I think your example is a really good mini version of the Paschal mystery lived within your life. But I want to, I want to say what I think I want to start with the cross because it, 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 it's very fitting that it's Holy week and that, that forgiveness always comes back to the cross. We are not saved because of Christ's suffering on the cross. Mm. We are saved because of the love that he that he offers in the face of suffering mm -hmm. that he and he doesn't run from the suffering he enters the suffering out of love he he takes on the suffering out of love and it is the love that overcomes the suffering that overcomes death that gives birth to new life mm -hmm. it is his love despite he loves even to the point where he, 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 it's a complete, they use the term theologically called a, a kenosis and emptying of self out of love, um, even though it's ultimately going to lead to his death. And in that process, it, he's able to be set free and be reborn in a new way. So it, it, we're saved through the love of the cross in the face of suffering. And, you know, with that kind of as the backdrop to take a look at your example, if you don't mind, like, because you have gave such a great example, if I could just kind of look at the so the Paschal mystery, the suffering, death, um, re resurrection, ascension of Christ, that's the, the theological term for the Paschal mystery. So what happens is you had, we are wounded and you use the term wounded. I often say we're all wounded witnesses of God's love since we, we're all, you know, we, we see God's love in many ways. We're supposed to be the ones that show God's love to others, but because of our own woundedness, our hearts of flesh turn to hearts of stone and it's, and we, we self-protect because of our woundedness. Mm -hmm. So you share this really beautiful example of how you had opened your heart to someone, you had been vulnerable and you, he had wounded you in, because of that. And so like a little layer of like stone comes around it to protect yourself because you're scared rightfully so of that suffering. So you enter this, this marriage with your husband and, and we're still like all of us carrying our wounds with us and it's it's scary because we haven't forgiven we're scared and because we don't want to get hurt again we we we're scared of the suffering so we self-protect and and it's not until we could forgive number one so that we let go 
and we and our heart of stone slowly turns to flesh but also we lean into the suffering mm-hmm. um so and I, now I'll kind of switch if I think in my own life I don't know that it's one particular huge event I, I never kind of um it's been for my husband and I um you know we had it was a very hard time because our boys are 13 months apart and my younger son was ultimately diagnosed on the spectrum. That's ultimately when Christ was saying, go home and take care of, of Joseph. It was because there was much more going on. And that had a, just like a catastrophic effect initially early on on our family. And there was just like a lot of trauma in the home. Um, and coming out of that, there was a tremendous amount of resentment between my husband and I because of yeah. the trauma of it all. And there were just so many times where, because I didn't want to lean into it and, and, and possibly embrace more suffering, I refused to forgive. I self-protected and I pulled away. Mm. And, and, and that's not the way of the cross. That's not the way of love and forgiveness. And it wasn't until I started to really meditate and on, on this concept of forgiveness and whatnot, and, and not to be scared of suffering, not that you ever let yourself get abused. Like, I think we always have to be careful when we talk about that, but this wasn't abusive. This was just me being vulnerable and maybe not getting the most nice response and and being able to accept that and offer that up because I wanted to try to imitate Christ's love. Let me make this more practical, even more specific. Christ loves so radically. It's like no love that we see. Like he loves even when he's hated. Mm. And I, and I love so conditionally, <laughs> I like, I love my husband when he does exactly what I want, what him I to want. Do. <laughs> That's the way he does it. And if he, he gives me any lip, I don't love him as much. Yeah. So like, I love, so I love so cheaply in my everyday life that, 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 that the cross, it's this opportunity to forgive these silly little things that I get offended over. And every time I make a little progress, it's like a little bit of the woundedness or the heart of stone falls away. Mm-hmm. And, and when I forgive him, I grow in love because I'm more loving. And if I'm truly loving, I should love him regardless of what he does, as long as it's not abusive or anything like that. But like, you know, we, St. Catherine of Siena has this beautiful concept where, you know, where she's in, in, um, in her book, The Dialogue, where she's talking to Christ, and there's an exact line from Christ, and I wish I had it, where he basically says, if you're loving based on the response of your spouse, you're not really loving. Like, like true love comes regardless of what they're doing. Aquinas tells us that to love is to will the good of another. It has nothing to do with who I am or how I feel. It's, it's I'm going to love you, even though you're doing the exact opposite of what I want you to do right now. Because Love loves like right, and forgiveness is part of that because in able in order to love that way, you have to first forgive and let go, and it is the hardest thing to do. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't taste good. It's like the medicine that while you're doing it is it's yucky. It's it's still not fun. I don't think it ever gets easier. No, I agree. <laughs> but when you get but when, but it but the weight becomes lifted. And the love grows and you're able to find joy mm. in the middle of the suffering through the, through loving and forgiving. 
It's yeah. freedom. When you said the word freedom. It's freedom and wholeness. Uh, freedom and wholeness are the words that come to mind when I think about forgiveness. More recently, I had a profound experience of forgiveness. We had someone in our home who behaved in an incredibly inappropriate way and we needed to ask them to leave. It was absolutely not acceptable. And um, and as they left, they said some very wounding things to myself, which were very uncalled for and not based in reality. It was coming out of their own pain and things that are happening for them. But it caused a split in some relationships, which was devastating. And the next day, I remember ringing my close friend. And just I was just so stunned. Like, oh, you know, there's times where we can contribute to a situation. There are other times where it's just somebody else's sin and they're I guess, wounded brokenness. And this was one of those situations. And I rang her and I went to her and and I just cried. Like I was just so wounded from this experience. And she just said to me, this is less than 24 hours after it happened. She said, let's pray that you can forgive him. And we prayed and honest to God in that moment, I completely hundred percent forgave because, and you know that you have, because your heart's not like you can see a person in the light of where they are at, you can say, still have the boundary that your behavior is not okay in our home, but then your heart is free. Your heart is free. So you still wish them well. You still will their good, but your heart is not now bound by the pain and the hurt. And I think that was probably, those are my two most profound experiences of forgiveness, really. And, and I, sorry, no, no, no I was just going to say it's, you, again, your, your example is spot on because on our own, we cannot forgive like that, that that's you, we, that kind of forgiveness, especially, you know, when we're completely in, like when we're innocent of it, I think when we're kind of guilty, we're like, ah, I was bad. He was bad. But when you're really, the, the more innocent you, you are, the more you require God's, God's grace. So what you did is you turned and you didn't even just pray on your own, where two or more, you prayed with someone else, which kind of even amplifies the prayer and you open up a channel of grace. You, you humble yourself and say, I can't, like, I can't forgive this person. This is extremely hard for me, but through God, all things are possible. So you opened up prayer and that prayer of surrender, uh, God allowed God's grace to, to come in and, and to aid in the process. And I think, you know, we don't talk about it enough that you know, how hard it is to forgive, how mm. messy it is. The process is ongoing. I think particularly Absolutely. in marriages, I mean, it's, 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 it's even in, in Christ-centered marriages because we're, we're, we're wounded and we're trying to grow in love. It's acknowledging, yeah, you know, it's, so I can't do it. And that's okay because I'm not supposed to do it on my own. I can't do it, but God can heal and do all things, Absolutely. which is, which is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Yes. It, it, it's, it's, he can, he can do it all. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think like we're, we're talking around forgiving others here, but I think there's a really important element for women, particularly around forgiving ourselves, because we can carry so much blame and shame over everything. Like I'm sure you've been through that with your son when you hit that experience, like with children, particularly, we are constantly blaming and shaming ourselves where we don't, you know, we're never enough. We're not good enough. We never, all those voices that are really those voices from the enemy, the lies of condemnation that would like to see us contained by limitation. And I think breaking into the full freedom that Christ, you know, 
has already won for us and wants for us really comes back to us as women also in the quietness of our own prayer time is forgiving ourselves, forgiving ourselves for the ways in which we rely too much on our own abilities and not the Lord's, for the ways in which we might fall short of living a full life and and being everything that we would like to be, letting go of some of those expectations. But I I really want to speak into that for a moment because I, I see this in as a real trap in so many women's lives, it's just this shame and blame that they carry, that somehow they are responsible for everything from their children's disability to their husband's sin to a business falling apart, whatever it is, women tend to just take this on far too much. And I'd love for you just to speak into that wound if you're able to for a moment in the hearts of women, how we can deal with that. I have to tell you, the Carmelite spirituality is just all over this whole conversation. Cause as you're speaking, or I keep on hearing St. Therese, the little flower. Um, I think that, and, and I think she's the key for us to focus in on one thing. I just want to say in my own battle or journey to forgive myself. And I think particularly my hardest places to forgive are with um, my two sons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a, a little bit, the sin of pride in that I think, it all relies on me and self-reliance yes. and rather. So, so actually before I even could forgive, I have to rightly order um, the way I look at things and I have to truly surrender and rest in God's providence. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Therese very much realized I could do nothing on my own. I'm, 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 you know, she came up with her concept of the little way because she knew she needed an elevator to heaven because she knew she was really spiritually. She couldn't do it. She's like, well, I know I can't do it. So I need to find a shortcut. So instead she became completely childlike in the way that she, I can't do it all on my own, but I trust in the love and mercy and providence of the Lord. And I think that's the real key for, for for forgiving ourselves as women. Number one, realize if we're blaming everything on everyone else, or, or rather taking blame for all that's going wrong around us, we have a control issue and a, and a pride issue where we think, and I battle with this regularly, so when I say we, I should say I. Oh, <laughs> um, I think we all do, I'm guilty too. Where, where we think that we are in control of more than we really are. And this is not to you know, not admit our own sinfulness and where we do contribute that, but even where we do, we, we admit it, we don't repress it, we acknowledge it, but we're not shocked by it because we know that we're going to, that it's hard, but, but rather we move through it. So we don't repress it, you know, where we see clearly, like we pray for the Holy spirit to help us really have, you know, good, just good, true wisdom and clarity of looking at ourselves and, and where we are sinful and where we can improve, but wherever it is, saying whether I got it right or I got it wrong, God could fill in the gaps and fix what happened and, and surrendering at the end of the, all you could do is the best that you can. And some days your best looks good. And most days it looks ugly, but if you surrender it to the Lord and his providence and not try to think that you could do it, that that's when we open the grace to free ourselves. Here's that word freedom again from this shame and blame because in the, you know, like we get up, we try our best, but we give it in the end, we lay our burdens at the foot of the cross and his providence provides. And his, because Jesus saved us through the cross, he redeemed suffering itself. And now 
the suffering of the day where we got it right, where we, all, everything, that morning offering, that prayer of all the joys, the works, the prayers and the sufferings, everything we do, he's able to use. So mm-hmm. why have shame over it? Because he could use it all if we offer it and give it to him. Absolutely. There's Romans, all things work for good for those that love the Lord. And I, I think that's, you know, that's St. Therese of Lisieux's trademark signature message that everything is grace, everything is gift. So even the unredeemed areas of our life, there is a grace and a gift in that because they're the, that's our poverty. And when we encounter our poverty, that's when we really encounter our need and our, our desire and our dependence on the Lord. So sometimes he allows things to remain as a thorn in our side, not because he wants us to suffer, but because that keeps us dependent on him. And it's it's the, the gateway, the door in which he can then minister and bring his grace into our life. And I think it's just such a paradigm shift to the world that we live in. But I, I think that's one of the, the, yeah, the beautiful things that we need to remember and keep in the forefront of our mind, especially as we come into this holy week, that God re- has the power to redeem anything. He has the ability to restore everything. And those areas that might not be, they might be our not yet redeemed moments. We have to trust that he is still in them and be present to them and to be present to what he is trying to do, what the invitation is in the midst of those seasons. You know, you said, when you said we have to trust, if you think of what holiness is, I've heard a lot of beautiful definitions, but just recently I heard someone say holiness is a radical love and radical trust in God mm-hmm. that, and, and, and just where you don't rely, you completely love and trust. And especially as we come off the heels of Lent, um, especially for us, those of us who had rougher Lent, that's that, that again, to your point, it's just a beautiful way to chip away at our pride and to chip away at our self-reliance, to acknowledge our, our poverty and to give from our place of poverty, no matter how useless or smaller gift does the same way the woman who gives from her poverty along, she gives and she acknowledges it. It's humbling and it's surrendering and it creates the space in our, in our smallness in our poverty, it creates space for his grace to fill up, right? So if we think of like in this visual way, when we're prideful and when we think we have it all on under control, there's no room for his grace. But when we just completely admit, I need help, (laughs) we open up this channel of grace. And that's why the Blessed Mother is just such a beautiful role model that, you, you know, even if you, when you pray, even the joyful mysteries, her joyful mysteries were still really hard. You know, they were. I agree. She's a teenager. She finds out like she has to, you know, she, we believe she probably took a a vow of virginity, a promise of virginity. And, and, and now she finds, you know, she says yes to God, which is beautiful, but she's going to have a scandal on her hands. You know, she, she has her child in a, in a cave, you know, she gets separated from her son. Like these are like big things. I might've mixed a couple of mysteries up, but, but her joyful mysteries are, are still in the shadow of the cross. And yet she radically trusts and loves God. And, you know, and, and so we have to analyze her, her life and say, well, why is she able to do that? And one of, you know, I, I have a whole meditation I do on this, but one of the things is she's always, she's free from sin. So she could always see God 
for who he really is. So I think as we start off this Holy Week, if we haven't, you know, if hopefully you listen to this, we might've missed Reconciliation Monday, but if you have a chance, it's a great time to get to, get to confession yeah. before we start Holy Week because sin distorts our vision of God. Mm-hmm. It doesn't let us see, you know, we see this in the beginning in Genesis. Adam and Eve walked with God face to face in the garden. All it took was one sin and, and, and they're so scared of him. They're hiding from him because sin distorts our vision of God. And in order to trust God, in order to love him, in order to surrender him and give him control, we have to know him and see him clearly. So we have to be free from sin. We have to spend time in prayer, getting to know him. We have to read scripture. We have to spend time with him in the Eucharist. And these are all the things that we could do so that we know him personally, so that we can trust him and rely on him instead of ourselves. So we could free ourselves from our shame and rest on his holiness. Mm, So beautiful. Jennifer, thank you so much. Can I ask you just to say a closing prayer over the ladies as we go into um, this beautiful Holy Week, please? Thank you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit We ask that anyone who is listening or watching this program, may they know that you have made them in your image, that they are unrepeatable, that you love them so much, and that as they enter this Holy Week, they become aware that you died for them out of love. Let them feel the tremendous mercy and love that you have. Let them be washed and made new in your grace. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Live Jesus in our hearts forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jennifer, thank you so much. Well, ladies, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Jennifer. If you'd like to follow her journey, you can find her on Instagram, Journey with Jen G. If you've liked what you've heard on the podcast, can I invite you to share this episode with your friends and to leave a review on the podcast platform. This helps to get the word out there and to promote the Genius Podcast. Ladies, just because Lent is coming to an end at the end of this week does not mean that your spiritual growth and journey stops there. If you would like to go deeper with your faith, if you would like some help in terms of unpacking your emotions, walking this journey of forgiveness and managing your mindset, can I invite you to take a look at our Catholic coaching programs for women? You can find out more information at www.geniusproject.co. The other exciting news is that we have the Metanoia Catholic journals for sale through the Genius Project. These are a fabulous tool to help you in your spiritual reflection and journey. So ladies, these journals are selling like hotcakes. So please Order your copy today to make sure that you don't miss out. You can find a link to order your journal on our Instagram page, genius underscore project underscore daily, or in the show notes of this podcast, or on our website, www.geniusproject.co. Ladies, I hope and pray that you have a truly blessed and anointed Easter season. Until next week, have a beautiful week. Stay close to the Lord this Easter. And we'll see you back here next week on the Genius Podcast.